You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Sandra Tier, co-founder and CEO of Diego5 Studios. Sandra, welcome to the show. Thanks for the invitation. I'm honored, actually, and uh, I have to say your voice is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, as someone who spent her career in radio and uh, later, you know, as a, as a journalist in front of the camera, I take that as a, a big compliment. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, you could be also a TV presenter or radio host, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, maybe one day. We'll see. Well, uh, let's start off by, by talking about that in your early career. Obviously, you're from Austria and you began your journey into media, as I mentioned, as a radio producer. And then you were a journalist and news anchor for ATV and RTL. So what initially attracted you to the media business? How much time do we have <laughs> to tell my story, actually? Yeah, the first time I got in contact with the media was quite early, directly after school at the age of 18. Because I'm, uh, I was born in Graz and I went to Vienna to study and to finance my studies. I was a model at the time. So one night uh, at a runway show, I met a girl from the biggest radio station in Austria, uh, which was called or is called Ö3. And she invited me to visit her at work. So I went there and the radio station had the most innovative, brand new radio station, I guess, in Europe that time. Uh, so I was really deeply impressed and wanted to work there. And that was my first time where I got in contact um, with a big broad broadcaster. And luckily I had the chance to work there. And so I started really from the beginning, which was cool because I learned the most going through all units, which I did. It was a long way to become a journalist and the TV presenter. Yeah. And then at the age of 23, I was lucky again because in 2003, the first private TV broadcaster opened in Austria and I won the casting for the main news show at night. And after signing the contract as a news anchor, two weeks later, I was then on air at the age of 24, which was a big issue at the time for me. And then I was the youngest news anchor in the German-speaking countries. And we wrote media history because in Austria, we had over 50 years of only one public broadcaster, which is called ORF. So the focus on me as a person was quite huge at the time. And after that, at the age of 25, the RTL group offered me a job in Germany where I was the news anchor for around 10 years at the RTL 2 News at 8 p.m. with over a million viewers per night. And that was the biggest thing ever for a little girl from Austria. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And so you have this great introduction to media from the traditional side, right? Television, radio. What was the media business like at that time? Did you start to see digital becoming a more important piece of the equation and, and perhaps changing radio and television? Yeah, of course. It was very classy at the beginning. And so I was trained and learned a lot. And then there was a fascinating thing one day because two little girls, they they met a fan, fan meeting uh, in a city and thousands of people were there and the police came. And so the girls were on the news and everybody was asking, who are these two little girls and why are so many people coming to see them? 
And then they called, oh, these are YouTubers. So that was the first time me and my colleagues learned, oh, there are YouTubers out there. What are YouTubers? And then, you know, we did some research and we learned that YouTubers are young people who create content on their own on YouTube and they become stars. So that was um, the point I realized that something huge is going on in the internet because these young people, they create and find their audience and it's a phenomenon till now actually and the video hype goes around the world since then so i imagine that is what maybe served as the early inspiration for diego five studios right you co-founded what has now become the leading austrian creator network back in 2015 so you you saw this digital trend starting on youtube but obviously later it would expand across other platforms yeah right um i saw that there is a new trend and times are changing I saw also young people, you know, they grow up with the technique and they, they know naturally how to create uh, cool content, right? And so, yes, for me, it was really exciting to go into a new world with all these young people. And uh, yeah, as you said, we were really the first guys in Austria who, who were talking about this. So I started to found this company with my partners. And uh, what I really love on media is the life factor. That thrills me, you know, to inform and entertain life on radio and on TV. And all these young people, they do whenever they want. They create their content on their social media channels. Had you always considered yourself an entrepreneur? <laughs> to be honest, no. Being an entrepreneur was not on my wish list. <laughs> Interesting. Was... What happened? Yeah, no, I wanted to, to become a journalist and TV presenter, but being an entrepreneur and leading a startup in 2015 was really not on my focus. The craziest thing is you start with one person and you have to decide everything, right? There is nothing set. There is no structure, no office, not even stationary. Everything must be built from scratch. And even our industry was so new at the time that we hardly found people who, who knew what we are doing, actually. The YouTuber and the creator, they loved Diego, of course, because we understood them. But it was really hard to explain it to companies, to employees at the beginning. Now it's common. Now it's common in nearly every company. Now it's much more easier to start talking to a marketing or social media guy who needs creative content and new faces. Because influencer marketing nowadays belongs to a perfect marketing mix in a lot of companies. That's right. But like you said, in the early days, it was a lot of education, right? You find yourself as a founder being an evangelist, telling people why this is important, why things are changing and how they should get behind it. Right. Lots of CEOs or marketing guys, they were older at the time, so they had no experience with social media at all. So it was a lot of work to explain and to create this market. And even now, YouTube is not so well-known everybody can watch it but it's really hard to create your audience and to create content and to to get a large audience so even for companies today it's hard to find their ways what did you find to be the hardest part of being a first-time founder in addition to everything you touched on right having to create everything from scratch was there some experience or one element of launching the business that was particularly challenging I have to think about it because everything was challenging. 
But for me, it was like being an entrepreneur uh, after half a year, it, it felt like, oh shit, I'm on a fast train and I cannot step out. <laughs> Not sure if the train crashes or reaches the final destination because every day and every month is like a fight. You have your employees and, and this, the influencer network, then you have the market and the companies. So you have to you have to be very strong every day and you have to believe in your vision that that you can transport it and to, to make a successful end, right? Of course. And in fact, in addition to launching the creator network of Diego Five Studios, you've also helped to launch the Influence Video Con and the Austrian Video Awards. So tell us a little bit more about those events and the original inspiration behind them. The idea was to give the creators um that it, the idea was to give creators, fans, and brands a platform, safe and secure, because we started to organize everything, and the setting is absolutely fabulous. Everybody loves the Influencer VideoCon, and it was interesting because we started in 2016, and it was brand new, and we did it in the capital city, Vienna, in Austria, where thousands of people came. It was the first time, and everyone was so thrilled, and we had a stage, and we gave them a platform uh, that they can show who they are, which channels they do, which they create, and also hug their friends, make selfies. So it's it was really amazing. And we had over 100 creators in a huge room. You saw really the, the, the full power of all these digital stars because you know them only from the channels, right? And then you are there with them in the real life. And um, that was really cool. So for brands, it's always an experience because digital seems so far away. As an event, you see and feel the emotions that are between influencers and fans. And um, after the successful first start, I thought, okay, Austria is not a big country, but I want to try a tour to the little countries and the little states. So we had uh, eight to nine stops per year with a mixture between Austrian and German superstars. And uh, 2017 and 18, I was so overwhelmed that it really worked out. The hype is really worldwide, even in the countryside. Hundreds or thousands of kids came with their parents. And I have to say, it's, it's a family event where parents brands, and even my employees learned a lot. And we had a really great time, actually. That's terrific. Yeah, I, I found that live events really make it real for brands, especially in the early days when you're doing that education to show them this is a content creator. This is how strong the connection is between them and their audience who will you know, come out and see them and take a selfie or want an autograph, right? It's, it totally changes the perception for advertisers. They finally get it. It kind of clicks for the first time. And it's great that you can create a tour and, and actually bring that to the countryside where people outside of a big city like Vienna might not normally have a chance to meet their favorite creator. And now suddenly it comes to their town and they have a chance to interact with them. Right. But James, how, how is it in the US? Have you been to events like this? Oh, absolutely. Right. The event phenomenon has been going on for, you know, over a decade now around, you know, digital platforms. VidCon is probably the hallmark example where, you know, they were bringing together online creators and what started as 
really kind of an industry event turned into something that also attracted brands and advertisers and creators when they're fans. So it, these things have changed over time and now it's become big business. You have more influencer oriented events like a ClamorCon or a Playlist Live. You've got uh, kind of industry specific or, or category specific events. BeautyCon is a great example. And then, and then certainly the platforms themselves have gotten into the game with Twitch creating TwitchCon for its uh, community of online game streamers. So, you know, live events are a natural part of the online video space today. And it's an extension of the online activity now happening in the real world. I would love to be at Vidcom, actually. How many people are going there? Yeah, so VidCon is incredible. It started in the US about 11 years ago. And obviously this year with coronavirus, things are a bit up in the air, right? So normally it's held in the summer. There were plans to initially delay it. I think they might look at an alternative, perhaps that's just you know only online this year, or, or perhaps we'll have to postpone it. But in any event, last year, there were over 100,000 people in attendance here at the, wow. at the original LA version. And then since then, they've also started expanding to other countries. So they have you know VidCon Uh, Europe, which started originally in Amsterdam and is now held in London. VidCon is also expanding to Mexico City and Abu Dhabi, and, and they have it in Melbourne, Australia. So it's really a global phenomenon now. And, uh, you know, again, unfortunately, some of those events are, are postponed. But uh, it's great to see these events being being held when it's safe to do so, because it creates an awesome opportunity for all the parties you mentioned, creators, fans, advertisers, and industry personnel to all meet and, and share their love for the online video space. Yeah, it's amazing. I would love to go there to, to all these events. I'm curious, you know, how does the Austrian market differ from other parts of Europe in your experience? Uh, thanks for asking, because Austria is really a little country with around uh, 8 million inhabitants. So we do not have hundreds of successful channels, but we have some really successful ones. Most channels are, of course, German-speaking channels, so uh, you you might not understand them. <laughs> uh, so they, they, they reach, of course, German-speaking audiences, right? But um, one of the successful, most successful channels in Austria, and I'm very proud of this lady because um, the lady is called Joanna, and she created two channels, Macaroon and Cute Life Hacks. You will find them on YouTube because Joanna speaks English and she reaches really a huge audience. Just YouTube her <laughs> because she has on her videos between six to 11 million views per Video. Yeah. And she has a lot of fans in the US, in, in the UK or Australia. She's a, a slime influencer, you know, <laughs> doing the slime videos. How do you like slime videos? <laughs> And then there's a second guy which belongs to the most successful channels from Austria. It's the channel Novrich. It's also an English channel um, with really also millions of fans worldwide. And that shows me that worldwide success when you speak English is possible, even when you're from a little country like Austria. <laughs> That's right. Now accent or, or borders are no longer an issue. These digital platforms have opened up worldwide audiences for people to market and produce incredible content for. You know, given that you operate in a predominantly German-speaking territory, I imagine many of your German-language creators are also getting viewership from Germany, of course, and Switzerland, and some of these other kind of German-speaking territories that are part of the DOC region. So are you also working with advertisers across the region as well? You're super correct. Uh, of course, the Austrian influencers or YouTubers, they have also a huge audience from Germany, of course. Sometimes 
80% of the viewers are from Germany. Mm. Um, so yes, the marketers also from Germany wants to to work with our influencers. And then we are really very proud. We speak German, but we have different accents. You know, German sure. German is different than Austrian German. <laughs> but it's so funny that the Austrian influencers, sometimes like uh, lifestyle beauty influencers, the, the beauty girls, you know, they really want to talk German German. <laughs> do you think they do that because it makes it more relatable to the larger German speaking audience? Yes, that's why they do it. Yeah. But uh, I have to say there, if you ask what's the difference between countries in these areas, I have to say Switzerland is um, also a little country, but they have three languages, right? In Switzerland, you speak French, you speak Italian and you speak German. German. So the market, it's a little country, and then you have French speaking uh, influencers, uh, German speaking, and Italian. So for marketers in Switzerland, it's very hard because, uh, yeah, it's very different. How do you say? Kleinteilig. It's, um, sure. Yeah. yeah to, to market to all of those different language groups effectively, it, it's uh, more challenging. That's interesting. Right. It's more challenging. And also, you know, the what they are doing, the, the channels, what they show is also different from country to country. For example, in France and also in Switzerland, the most uh, popular channels are comedians. Like comedy and entertainment. Yeah, sure. And uh, in Austria, it's 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 uh, making slime. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no, Novrich is uh, not a sniper. How do you say he's um, not painful? Not a sniper. <laughs> How do you oh. say? Is, um, hmm. But he's um, he flies around the world and he's outside and he he's testing uh, huge areas that that makes him so popular. And which platforms do you see as most dominant in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland? Are you seeing I would suspect, obviously, YouTube and Instagram, but, you know, are, are you witnessing the rise of TikTok? Are people doing content for Facebook? What, what platforms are important? Yeah, the most important platforms are, as you said, YouTube, Instagram, and WhatsApp for the mm. young people. And 2020 is the TikTok trend, right? Everybody is talking now about TikTok and also companies ask me, can, can you do a workshop? Can you explain us the platform? How is it working? How can we work with these creators? And we have some also very successful TikTokers, yeah. What's coming next? If you had to make three predictions for the future of the media space, what would they be? Access to the technical infrastructure is getting more easy to use for everyone and cheaper. So everybody has the chance to express himself, herself and create content. So as we see now, as I, as I said before, TikTok becomes more and more powerful. I believe that live video in general will get a bigger focus because it's easy to handle and easy to communicate with a lot of people. So during Corona times, I'm doing live talks every night, for example, with creators and influencers, um, which is really cool and easy to do it. So even if you have kids or a job, you can do live videos. I think that the live video market will grow in the next years. Yeah, we've certainly seen more and more of a focus on live video. One, probably because just the ease of content creation and then the real-time connection that you have with your audience. So while digital has created this two-way dialogue between a creator and their fans, live video even more so makes that conversation more unique, right? The influencers 
can receive real-time input from their audience on how to take the, the direction of the content and change the way they tell the story. Fans can often tip or chat and again, kind of influence the, the direction of the conversation. So that's really interesting. And then I think advertisers are getting more and more comfortable with live streaming. One, because it's, it's pretty familiar to them as it relates to like live television. So they have kind of a reference. And then also just the fact that maybe an easier way to execute an ad buy today, um, CPMs in some cases are, are also lower than what you would see from a video on demand on YouTube, for instance. So a lot of opportunity in the live video market. And uh, for example, Facebook is not so common for the young people in Austria. They don't use Facebook, but I guess, for example, being live on Facebook or having a live Facebook show makes it perhaps in the next years also interesting again. Yeah, and also for a chance to reach an older audience, right? Although Facebook has been losing its cool factor here in the US and parts of Europe, it's still very dominant, right? It's become almost a utility where everyone essentially has access to Facebook. And now that it's reaching an older audience, it's carving out kind of a niche in certain categories like news, lifestyle, recipes, things like that. So Facebook still has a long way to go to figure certain things out, like how to compete more effectively in the gaming space or what to do in terms of creating a, a searchable, discoverable video on demand platform. But I think that it's massive reach and it's uh, strong relationships with publishers and news organizations is setting it up for success in some of those categories. Right. Are you still on Facebook? You know, to be honest, I am, but uh, not for very much activity, right? I haven't posted anything or I haven't you know, uploaded any photos in years. All I really use Facebook for is to post about the podcast and to check when it's my friend's birthdays. <laughs> I think that's kind of the extent of it. <laughs> that's the best thing on Facebook. <laughs> They remind me every day, who, whose birthday is today? <laughs> yeah. The platform I spend the most time on, to be honest, is LinkedIn. And that's because I spend a lot of time at work and, and LinkedIn has become this great way to build relationships and connect with other thought leaders and people in our industry and, and get some really valuable news. So that's where I'm the most active. And in my personal life, I've, I've kind of stopped being very active on even like Instagram or other platforms just because, I don't know, I have my close-knit community of friends and We talk to each other on uh, on WhatsApp and text message and, you know, in person. I don't think any of us really use social media that much anymore. I tell you a secret. The time as a news anchor, if you want to reach people, experts, you know, you, you need an interview, a quick interview for the for the late night show. Uh -huh. The most important channel for me was Facebook because, uh, you know, people are in meetings uh, or in conferences. And when you text them on Facebook, they, they answered immediately. They didn't answer on emails, they didn't answer wow. on phone, but they answer always on Facebook. So as a journalist, uh, Facebook was always very important. <laughs> Interesting. What does the future hold for Diego 5? I hope so. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think uh, Diego 5 is strong because we now work with young people for over five years and uh, we know how they think, how they act, how they react, what they want. And as a company, you always have to be curious and you have to be a first mover with trends and trending topics. The digital world is very fast. So be aware and create new communication formats with or without influencers. So during the Corona time, we saw that digital communication is very strong, sustainable mm -hmm. and crisis proof. We are at home and can still communicate from there. That is what the future holds, in my opinion. If you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? Uh, I would build a live video platform for everyone. 
when you say you want to build a live video platform for everyone, what do you mean? How would it be different from some of the current live offerings that we see? I have something in mind. I, I really love the platform UpLive. Do you know the platform UpLive? Yeah. In fact, you were the one who first mentioned it to me and I've had a, a look at it. It's right. very popular in China and it's become right. you know, kind of one of the more dominant uh, live streaming platforms there. Yeah, it's just video. It's just live video. Uh, so everyone can create their own show. You can sing, you can dance, you can play piano, you can talk, you can read stories, whatever. And um, you receive money from the audience. Like they have uh, like Bitcoin, something, something special there. And I think this platform is very interesting. And this would be really cool. Something like YouTube, which is also a platform video, would be cool to have a platform just for live videos. Where can people find out more about you and more about Diego 5 Studios? On the website, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, <laughs> on YouTube. Just call me. <laughs> Terrific. Yeah, I encourage everyone to check out your site, get an idea of the types of creators that you work with, the types of content that you create. Sandra, thank you so much for taking the time to share your insight and perspective and uh, walking us through your journey from traditional entertainment in the world of news and television radio uh, all the way to launching a digital business and working with creators. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, James. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.